Greetings and welcome to Union Street Hoops. I'm your host, Paul Oren, and you can catch Union Street Hoops all over the internet. Apple Pods, NWI.com, Spotify, SoundCloud, we're all over the place. Union Street Hoops, of course, is a podcast dedicated to Valparaiso basketball and especially today, the Missouri Valley Conference. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. It is the 23rd of December. Uh, You might be listening to this as you travel to the in-laws, to the family, as you're kicking back uh, with eggnog by the fire, or if you're just, you know, like me and counting down the days until the Missouri Valley Conference begins. Valpo Loyola, December 30th, Monday, 7 p.m. at the Arc, and then Valpo will jump on the road to go to Evansville and Southern Illinois for back-to-back games. And, you know, today we're going to look at the Valley. We're going to look at kind of where the midway point right now. Uh, Try to figure out what this Valpo team is. I don't know the answer, right? And part of the problem is... We don't have a lot to go off. We can obviously we can watch the broadcast unless, of course, you know, it's at Arkansas. And for whatever reason, there's no television, which I actually kind of thought was funny because in the older days, and I don't want to sound like, you know, walking up the hill both ways in snow, but uh, it was normal to just be able to listen to the game on the radio and then try to write a story off of it. It was very difficult in this game listening to maybe how many uh, how many calls Todd Eichau, the play-by-play announcer for Valpo, thought went against Valpo. Uh, hard to tell if it was truly a five-on-eight game at Arkansas or not. Um, I thought Matt Loddick took the high road afterwards, which is what coaches typically do. Um, you know, I... I always loved when there were bad calls on the road in some of these by games. Homer Drew would would stop and say, you're a better official than that. Uh, Matt Loddick's way of saying that is these guys aren't deliberately trying to make mistakes, which I <laughs> think is just a, an excellent uh, backhanded compliment a little bit. So, you know, looking at Valpo here, it's, you know, we had Casey Schmidt on right before the game against Central Michigan earlier this month. That was a special day. Uh, speaking of Homer Drew, that was awesome to see Homer come back, Bryce come back. It felt like, I think actually I talked to Aaron Levitt about this, and he said that it actually felt like a class reunion. You see a bunch of people back that you didn't, you don't normally see anymore, and it was just great. It was a great atmosphere. Um, not a lot of fans out at this. That was disappointing. It was Sunday, December 8th. Uh, 2,800 people were there, 2,880. I don't think they were up against the Bears. I think the Bears either played on Monday night or were on the bye or whatever the deal was. I you know, I, I don't pay attention to the Bears. Um, but, you know, I thought there'd be more people out for that. And it's interesting because people are telling me that if Vanderbilt would have come here, and Bryce was still the head coach, the arc would have been packed. It would have been a sellout. It would have been this. It would have been that. And yet, you know, Valpo had played up to that point three home games against Toledo, against North Dakota, both victories. The game against Trinity Christian, which I strike that from the record because it's a non-D1 and I don't talk about those. Um, But, you know, this was a Sunday afternoon it was, you know, not quite in the holiday season yet, and, uh, and and so I just like I don't know the answer, right? Like why more people didn't come out for for that to see Homer Drew, and I thought it was a special day, and he was great, and 
you know, held the, the, the crowd that was there on the palm of his hand. He said, you know, we won a bunch of games, but we did it because of the fans. We did it because of the people around here. And it was really genuine. Uh, you know, he, he called me a couple days later and, and just, you know, kind of on a, I think Baylor had just won a big game. He called me a couple days later and just said how much he loved coming back. Uh, had a chance to talk to Bryce Drew at the game. He called me a couple days later too. And, and it was just, it was really nice to hear from those guys. And you could just see they genuinely miss being at Valpo. I mean, Bryce, we can talk about what he did at Vanderbilt, and obviously it didn't go his way last year. And I, I'm sure Homer loves being down there. He's he's coaching with Casey. Uh, you know, they're having a great time. But you got the sense that they miss being around and seeing a lot of the people. And I just I thought it was so awesome, so cool to see them. Uh, wish more people would have been, had a chance to come out and see them. I thought that would have been great. That said, look, Sunday afternoon games are not always convenient. Maybe this would have been better on a Saturday night. I, I you know, and, and we've talked about the schedule. We beat that drum ad nauseum. You know, I look at again Valpo in their games, their home games so far: Tuesday night, Sunday afternoon, Wednesday night before Thanksgiving, and Sunday afternoon. And you know, then they're going to get a Monday night, and not till January 11th do they get a Saturday. But then it's 3 p.m. It's in the middle of the afternoon. And, you know, I, that's that's tough. Not until January 18th will Valpo get a Saturday night home game. Um, and that, uh, you know, to me is uh, that's too long into the season to make that happen. Uh, and then they get a Sunday afternoon game. Then they get another Saturday night game, a Wednesday night game, a Wednesday night game, a Saturday night, Tuesday night. And then we're done. So uh, Valpo, you know, going into the Central Michigan game, I kind of thought, what does Valpo need to do over the next four games? And I kind of thought they'd win at home against Central Michigan, and they'd win at High Point, and they would lose to Charlotte, and they would lose to Arkansas. And that's what happened. And, you know, it was a, it was a great win against Central Michigan in terms of just probably the best Valpo has looked top to bottom. They put the game together. They were up 12 at the half. Javon Freeman-Liberty had 19 points, six rebounds, six assists. Nick Robinson, 13 points, nine rebounds, six assists. He was excellent. Aaron Gordon at 14 points off the bench. Ben Cricky with nine points. Everybody played well except for Saki. Valpo had 24 assists and 31 field goals. That's excellent. Uh, Saki struggled in that game, which would be a uh, kind of a, a harbinger of things to come, I guess. Valpo goes to Charlotte, and, you know, they, they, they battle. Early on, they're down five at the break, and uh, just another another tough game for Saki. Misses all three shots, five turnovers. Valpo with uh, you know Javon Freeman Liberty seventeen points. Just kind of a it's kind of a tough tough game in that situation. Never uh, you know Valpo led by three early, but that was it. Then Charlotte took the lead and led wire to wire. That was a tough one. Then Valpo goes to High Point, another good one there. Uh, high point, you know, early lead. John Michael Wright, 25 points. But, again, Aaron Gordon, 20 off the bench. Six three-pointers. What a game. Freeman Liberty doing his thing again. 22 points, six rebounds, four assists, three steals, filling the box score. And then you've got Daniel Sackey. Nine assists. Great game in that one. Great game. Donovan Clay starting to do some good things in that. And then they go to Arkansas. And this was such a fascinating game. Valpo down 18-5 early. They rallied to take the lead at the half, 
and then they're up by at least eight in the second half. And it looks like they've got this, right? And, you know, then whether or not there were some calls. Look, I don't know if it's five on eight. I wasn't there. I didn't see it. But when one team shoots 31 free throws and the other team shoots 11, that's a problem. Now, does that mean that Valpo was so overmatched physically that they had to compensate by fouling all the time? Maybe. But 31 to 11 seems like a lot. Now, can you place the blame there? I don't know. Here's interesting. Valpo took 20 more shots than Arkansas in the game. 20 more shots. Daniel Sackey, 1 of 12. Yeesh. Did have five rebounds, four assists, three steals. They had four turnovers, two points. After the game, Matt Loddick talked about his backcourt, Javon Freeman Liberty and Daniel Sackey, and he said what gets lost a lot is these guys are only sophomores, and they're going to continue to grow. And I think you're seeing, particularly with Sackey, and I'm talking about him now because he's the point guard and he's the guy that that gets the, the team going. Obviously, Javon is Javon. Sackey is going to have some some starts and stops. And I know that there's, you know, the, the vocal Valpo fan base who are frustrated with Saki a little bit. But I think there's also a, a vocal Valpo fan base who understands how important he is to the team. And he showed in that high point game when he's on, he's excellent. Showed in the Arkansas game, one of 12, it's tough. I still think you're going to see some good from Saki, particularly going through the Valley play again. I think guards, point guards, understand these teams the second, third, fourth time they go through them. So I expect you're going to see some good stuff out of Daniel Sackey here in conference play. Can't get much worse than one of 12, so we'll see what happens. As we sit here now, Valpo is 7-6. and six. I've said it throughout the year. I didn't know how good this team was going to be, I thought they'd be fun to watch. And they've been fun to watch. That Arkansas game, obviously I couldn't watch it because it was radio only, but just the, you know, late down the stretch, could they pull this off? Same thing with the Cincinnati game. That Eastern Michigan loss, and we're going to get into that being the fact that's the worst loss of the year for Valpo so far. That was an exciting game to watch. They're still a young team because you take Fizikas off the floor they're still a young team. You've got Aaron Gordon and Nick Robinson, who, yes, have been around the block, but they haven't played in a while. And you're seeing Aaron Gordon, I think, really come into his own lately. And, gosh, he is going to be a key factor in the Valley for Valpo, right? He is a change of pace, just excellent score off the bench. Now, do you want him in the starting lineup? Do you want Cricky in the starting lineup? Do you? I mean, Malik McMillan, who's has just been right there on the cusp of scratching that potential for three years now. He had a good game against Arkansas, against probably the biggest and, and probably best, you know, athleticism he's going to face at 14 points and nine rebounds. Blew me away that nine rebounds. I mean, it didn't surprise me that nine rebounds was his, now his career high. It blew me away that his season high up to that point was four. Four rebounds. For Malik McMillan, coming into that game was a season high. That's got to get better. Uh, but, you know, you're seeing Ben Cricky grow up a little bit. I thought he's given Valpo some good minutes in the last month of, of, of the season so far and be fascinated to kind of see his growth. 
Valpo's got a good challenge in that first game against Loyola. Cameron Crutwig, who just dropped a triple-double on Vanderbilt. Some teams in the Valley get to play Vanderbilt. And and so, you know, that'll be the, the big post-test right off the bat for Malik. And, and obviously, you'll see guys like Cricky will go up against them, and we'll see if Emil Fries-Villian will be back from his uh, back injury. Same thing with Nick Robinson. Back tightened up, couldn't play against Arkansas. How different is that game? If Nick Robinson is out there, Siggy Lorang also was out with an illness. Lottick said after the game that that the team was just, you know, they've been on the road for a while. He kind of lamented the way the schedule has shaken out. They they had three pretty long trips where they where they were where they were on the road. You know, the St. Louis to SIUE, they were on the road for a handful of days there. Then they do that trip to the. Virgin Islands, and then they come right on back and go Charlotte, High Point, Arkansas. Now they're, you know, basically other than Evansville to Southern Illinois, they'll be on the road for that. And then uh, after that, it's just 1-1-1 all the way through. So uh, the he said the team was a little fatigued in that Arkansas game in terms of some sickness going through. He said Ben Cricky couldn't even talk, um, you know, but you not, not making excuses, just, you know, the, the team needs a break, and, and they're getting it. Everybody in the Valley is getting a break right now. So Valpo 7-6, and six, are they good? Are they not? Uh, you know, I don't know. It, it, normally around this time of the year, I, I try to sit down with somebody else and go through some midterm grades. I think it's really hard to do that, and, and part of the reason is is that I've only seen them in person four times. You know, I saw the Toledo game. I saw the North Dakota game. I saw the Eastern Michigan game, and I saw the Central Michigan game. I didn't see Trinity Christian. I was out of town. I didn't get to watch a lot of these. I mean, the Grand Canyon game I listened to, Nevada and Cincinnati, I was out of the country. Um, Valpo nearly pulled that one off. How different is the perception of this team if Valpo is 9-4 and and they've beaten Cincinnati and Arkansas versus 7-6 and right now? Like, I, I, I'm a Green Bay Packer fan. I think many of you know this. They sit at 11-3. and They play the Vikings tonight. I still don't know if the Packers are good. They could be the worst 11 and 3 team in the history of the NFL, right? So, like I don't know if Valpo's good. I don't know where Valpo's going to finish. Can they contend in the conference? I, maybe. I think a big part of that is Ryan Fazekas. I think a big part of that is is making sure that Javon Freeman Liberty can kind of keep up this Superman, you know, approach that he's had and can Saki turn the corner a little bit. And the Saki and Freeman Liberty, the only guys to start all 13 games. Malik McMillan started all 12, except for the one that he had to sit out. Um, and, you know, we're, we're in Nick Robinson started 11, and, and Donovan Clay has now started 11, and he has been, you know, up and down throughout the year. I think it's clear that Javon Freeman Liberty gets probably an A or an A plus. So Remy's clearly an amazing basketball player. He's got 33 steals right now. He's on pace to break the single season record. He leads the team in rebounding, leads the team in scoring. He's second on the team in assists. He's, you know, he's got to be better at the free throw line. He's only 69% from the free throw line, and he's going to get fouled a ton, right? 35% three-point shooter. He's made some improvements there, and he's shooting 46% from the floor. He's taken 229 shots. The next highest on the team is Malik McMillan, or excuse me, Saki at 89, and he's only shooting 32%, which is the lowest on the team. Uh, so that, that number's got to... He's either got to shoot less or improve. And then you see Malik McMillan's taking 85 shots, 79 for Donovan Clay. Uh, they got to figure out. And obviously, 
when Fazekas comes back, if if when anything like that, uh, this a lot of this stuff will change a little bit, and and we'll see when Fazekas may come back. I don't know. Have no idea. So Freeman Liberty gets an A. It's it's uh, it's just hard, I think, to go through a lot of these other guys. Uh, you know, some guys like Nick Robinson, I guess, probably a B B minus B something like that. Physique is incomplete. Malik probably a B minus. Kaiser B minus B. Saki C plus. I, but I you know I don't know. It's 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 again it's hard for me to just look at the numbers and not actually having seen them play a lot to see exactly where all of these will go. So let's just say that Javon gets an A, and uh, and everybody else is, uh, well, I can't wait to see him more. So I want to look at the Valley really quick, and, and that's really what we're going to do for the rest of this, this episode, is take a look at the Valley, see where Valpo might match up, and take a look at some of the other teams in the Valley. Now, I went back and forth about how to do this. Do I want to give my projections what I think is going to happen? I thought about that. I went back and forth, and then I just thought, I'm just asking for Indiana State to break my heart again. I won't do it. Last year, I put Indiana State second at this point of the year. I said, Tyree Key, Jordan Barnes, they're going to do it. They're going to turn the corner. They're going to be great. They were really hot coming out of non-conference, and then they finished, like, in what, ninth place, tenth place, whatever it was, um, and Valpo knocked them off on Thursday night in, uh, in St. Louis. Indiana State's won seven games in a row. They look like they're rolling. They're the second highest net in the conference at 91. They look good. I won't do it again. I won't. I, I'm not. I because I, I right now I I everything tells me that they're going to finish second in the conference, and they're not going to finish second in the conference. Maybe they. I mean, I guess maybe they are. But but uh, anyways. So what I did, I went to KenPalm.com. Ken Palm has got projected standings. They really don't make any sense. I really don't understand what Ken Palm is doing here. The reason why I say that is over the next 18 conference games, they project Northern Iowa to win 17 of those 18 games. The only projected loss is a road game at Loyola on February 15th. They have them projected to lose 65-64. So they are favorites in 17 of the 18 games. Yet, Ken Palm also says that Northern Iowa is likely to have a 13-5 and conference record. So I don't know what parameters they're using. All that being said, I've looked at the order that they have the teams here in the, the way that Ken Palm has their their adjusted efficiency here and all of that, or whatever whatever their rankings that, that he's got. And I wanted to, uh, actually the metric I think that we've got ranked here is uh, uh, adjusted EM. I don't even know. He's got so many numbers on Ken Palm. All that said, metrics, analytics, all of that. Let's break it down from 10th into 1st. This is the projected finish by Ken Palm with a little bit of tie-breaking moving around by me. Uh, number ten, Illinois State. Illinois State right now is uh, they're five and seven. They their best win of the year came in the season opener against Belmont. They won seventy nine seventy two at home. Good win start off the year. Their worst loss, believe it or not, came to Grand Canyon in the they they the same tournament that Valpo was in. Illinois State went zero and three. 
They lost by one to Cincinnati, so close close loss. They lost by 14 to Western Kentucky, and then they lost by five to Grand Canyon. Since then, they've beaten Moorhead State and UIC. They barely beat UIC, which we can talk about whether. And I mean, that would have been the worst loss right there. Um, but uh, and then they just lost by 19 to UT San Antonio. They start against Northern Iowa on New Year's Eve. That's going to be a tough one. Ken Palm has Illinois State projected to lose their first seven games of conference. This projected to start 0-7. Looking at Illinois State right now, their top players, Zach Copeland, Keith Fisher, are uh, are, are really the guys that are, are major contributors. Dedrick Boyd is another one. But Illinois State projected, they've got so many young players. Now, Dan Muller is a great coach, right, from everything we know. Illinois State projected to finish in last place in the conference. It's not going to go over well with a lot of the Illinois State fans, but it's obviously a rebuilding year for the Redbirds. They lost so many talented players last year. Keyshawn Evans, Phil Fain, Malik Yarborough. They brought in like 11 new players this year, and it's it's been it's been some starts and stops. Now, again, they, they beat Belmont to start the year. Belmont's top 100 team in Ken Palm. Next up is Southern Illinois. Now, they have Southern Illinois and Evansville both projected to finish 7 and 11, and they actually have Southern Illinois. Ken Palm has them a little bit higher. I'm, I'm going to flip this here. Southern Illinois' best win of the year was their last victory. Um, they, uh, they just – well, now wait. Numbers have, uh, have just been changed around a little bit here. Uh, matter of fact, their best win of the year came against UTSA. Uh, UTSA is a top 200, uh, 200 victory right there. And so that's their best win of the year. That was in their second game of the year. And they lost four in a row, including a loss to Oakland. And then they suffered their worst loss when they lost to Southern Miss. Uh, they lost by three on a road game. They then lost to Missouri, but they've beaten Hampton and beaten Southeast Missouri State. They are going to start with Indiana State and then Illinois State. So, uh, And then Valpo in the third game of the uh, conference on January 7th. Southern Illinois has not done a ton. They're also a team that's got a lot of new players on their team. Uh, Lance Jones, a, a young freshman, has been uh, has been playing for them. Aaron Cook has been out. He's only played five games this year. Uh, and then Marcus Domask, another freshman. So they've been young. These Jones and Domask, it's, it'll be curious to see kind of what their run-through conference at the beginning is going to look like. So then we get to Evansville. Evansville has got the best win of the year in the Valley. They beat Kentucky. Beat Kentucky 67-64 on the road on November 12th. Amazing victory. Then they played IU Kokomo two days later. And then they followed it up with losses to Southern Miss, or SMU, East Carolina, and George Washington. That East Carolina game, their worst loss of the non-conference. Then they beat Morgan State in triple overtime, beat IUPUI by six, beat Western Illinois by four. Pretty good win over Miami of Ohio. And then they beat Green Bay on the road. Then they lose to Jacksonville State. And they didn't just lose to Jacksonville State, who's 244th in the country, according to Ken Palm. They lost by 26 points. Then they beat Murray State in overtime. That's a, that's an excellent win. That would be a good And they've also beat Ball State in the season opener. I don't know what to do with Evansville. I really don't know. K.J. Riley, Sam Cunliffe, these two guys are 
they're they're excellent, right? They're I mean, Cunliffe is a uh, is a grad transfer, I think, from Arizona State. I think he came from, and then the guy that everyone seems to talk about is this guy DeAndre Williams. That people who are telling me in Evansville, this guy will be the player of the year in the Valley. I think AJ Green and Javon Freeman Liberty and Cameron Crutwig will have something to say about that. But everyone tells me that this DeAndre Williams guy is legit. Now, when they played Kentucky, Sam Cunliffe was the guy that stood out to me. Now, DeAndre Williams, I'm looking forward to seeing more what's going to happen. But they've got talent at Evansville. But can they win? They start with Missouri State, then they host Valpo. You know, so so tough game Missouri State, which we'll get to them in a second. It's uh, and then and then right after that, Ken Palm projects them to go or to lose at home to Bradley, go to Loyola and go to Indiana State and lose both those games. They project a one and four start in the conference for Evansville, and then they project late in the conference season six straight losses, including home losses to Indiana State and Loyola. So these numbers, maybe you agree with them, maybe you don't. Evansville, despite having the best win in the Valley over Kentucky, not exactly the the metric darlings of the conference right now. Now we move to the seventh place projected team, and here's where Valpo falls in. Projected to finish the conference with an 8-10 and 10 record, projected to lose their first three conference games at home against Loyola, on the road to Evansville, and on the road at Southern Illinois. Now, Ken Palm numbers are tricky. Valpo's projected to lose these three games by a combined four points. Matter of fact, almost every game that Valpo's playing in, according to Ken Palm, is projected to be a either one or two possession game. I think, except for the game at Northern Iowa, they're projected to lose by 11. Every other game here is basically a one or two possession game, except for a couple of these road games. Valpo's best win of the year, according to Ken Palm, came early against Toledo. The 103rd ranked team, they beat him by two. Their worst loss came against Eastern Michigan. Now, in terms of bad losses, Valpo's lost to number 91 St. Louis, number 94 Nevada, which they got thumped in that game, number 56 Cincinnati, which they were one Javon Freeman Liberty shot at the buzzer away from beating them, the loss at 181 Eastern Michigan, which they had that game won late, and they, they gave it away. The loss at 171 Charlotte, not, you know, on paper, doesn't look like a great loss, but that's a tough Charlotte team in a tough road environment. And then the loss at number 37 Arkansas, which was a semi-away game, which, again, is another one that Valpo had that game in hand, and it let it slip away at the end. The tough thing about Valpo for me is – that win against Toledo to open the season makes you think that Valpo knows how to win games down the stretch. They know how to close games out, except for the fact that actually Valpo had a good lead late in the game and blew that lead, and luckily for them, Javon hit that shot. Valpo's got a closing problem, and it's something that has not been fixed down the stretch, right? Like, They, you know, the Central Michigan game, yes, they look good there. In the high point game, they closed that one out. But, you know, Cincinnati, they they had a chance late, couldn't do it. Arkansas had a chance late. Those would have been two really good wins. Again, as I tell you, if Valpo wins those two games, how different are we talking about the team? Right now, I tell you, I don't really know if they're good, but they're entertaining to watch. If they beat Cincinnati and beat Arkansas, I'm telling you they're good. So that line is so thin right now. 
And if Valpo had beaten Cincinnati and beaten Arkansas, are we predicting them to finish seventh in the league? Probably not. We're probably predicting them to finish fourth. And so one basket maybe falling against Cincinnati or a couple calls not going against Valpo and maybe they can hit some shots and Sackey's not one of 12 and maybe you beat Arkansas. I don't know if Valpo's good. I've been saying this for, it feels like two years now. And uh, it, so I'm fascinated to watch to see what happens. Let's get into the rest of the conference. Missouri State, the preseason media darlings, uh, have had a bit of a rough go of it. They've beaten Murray State. Um, you know, we're going to talk about Murray State a lot here. But they beat Murray State on December 3rd by two points. That's their best win. They've got wins over one, two, three sub-300 teams, two sub-225 teams. And uh, their only win of consequence is against Murray State. Now, they've lost to number 28 Xavier by three. They lost to number 81 Miami, Florida by four. They lost to VCU by 10 on the road. They lost to 44 LSU by 15 on the road. Uh, yeah, excuse me, 15 on the road. Um, but they just lost by 10 to Oral Roberts. And I think we know in Valpo, you just you don't lose to Oral Roberts. Uh, Missouri State, best win against, you know, again, Murray State. And their worst loss was in the season opener to Little Rock, 160 in the country. And that was a one-point loss at home and gave everybody some pause there. Uh, Gage Prim looks like an excellent player. Don't really know what his status is hasn't you know not not playing a, a you know he's missed some games here and there um you know he's played the other night against uh, Oral Roberts had 12 points he had 21 against Buffalo earlier this year he's, he's a good player you got Keandre Cook Tulio Da Silva Lamont West I mean they've got talent there's no question they're loaded with talent can they put it all together there's some people around the valley who are questioning how good Dana Ford is, how good can he meld all this talent together? And obviously that seems to be the question right now. So Missouri State by Ken Palm projected to finish sixth. The Region Rats of Drake coming in at number five, projected to finish nine and nine in conference. They're 10 and three right now. Their best win against Murray State. Join the club. They beat them by 10 on a neutral court on November 27th, day before Thanksgiving. They followed it up with wins against Milwaukee and Southeast Missouri State. And they got blitzed by Dayton. And they just beat Air Force the other day on the road. It's a good, you know, solid win to go on the road. And they're playing some altitude. They've lost to Cincinnati. They've lost to Dayton. And they've lost to Miami of Ohio. Three losses against teams from Ohio. Drake stopped scheduling teams from Ohio. Their worst loss there is to Miami of Ohio. They lost by eight on a neutral site. And there you go. They, uh, they're, they've got their team back. You know, Tramel Murphy is back. You've got Liam Robbins is, is looking like an excellent player right now. Roman Penn's playing a little bit. Anthony Murphy, Tramel Murphy, DJ Wilkins. They've got some talent. And it'll be curious to see kind of how they continue to grow together. They've got some experience. They've been through the battles before. Drake is 10 and 3. They've got the second best record in conference so far in the non-conference, projected to finish 5th. And now we come to Indiana State. Indiana State is 1-7 in a row. I'm trying not to get too crazy about it. They started 0-4, but it was a tough schedule. Lost to number 12 Dayton, lost to number 3 Louisville, 
lost to 110 Ball State, their worst loss, and then they lost to Duquesne. Duquesne is currently undefeated, I believe. And it was a three-point loss on a neutral site. And they lost their first four games, and then they won seven in a row, including a win over Wright State in overtime. Now, Loudon Love did not play for Wright State, their best player, and I think preseason Horizon League Player of the Year, one of the better players in the Horizon League. He was out that game, but a win is a win is a win. And you've got Tyreek Key and you've got Jordan Barnes, these two guys. Cooper Nice, the sophomore transfer from Butler, is finally kind of getting rolling there. And, you know, Indiana State, they look like they can play, right? And and they are got a, a tough schedule to start. They play at home against Southern Illinois, should be a win. Then they go on the road to Drake. They go on the road to Northern Iowa. If they can win either one of those games, I think there's a real conversation there about Indiana State because then they go home for Illinois State and Evansville, should be able to get both of those. Then you go on the road to Valpo, you go on the road to Loyola, Chicago. Interesting start of the non-conference for Indiana State. Now we go to the top three. And Bradley, the team that went to the NCAA tournament last year, Bradley's best win against Kansas State, won by 13 on a neutral site the day before Thanksgiving. Followed that up a couple days later by a loss at Memphis by 15. They've beaten Radford. They beat UIC, which, again, Illinois State barely beat. Their worst loss came to St. Joe's in the season opener. They lost by five. They've also lost to Northwestern. They got blitzed in that one, and they've lost to Miami of Ohio. You know, Bradley's good, but Bradley's without Elijah Childs right now, one of their top contributors. Daryl Brown is still there, but without Childs, can he do it alone? Now, Nate Kennel is someone who's, you know, been around for a while. Jay Sean Henry is, a, is another good player. Uh, they've got Kingsby. They've got Barr. They've got some good big guys. They've got, you know, Ari Boya is, is playing now. Uh, but without Elijah Childs, I think Bradley gets kind of an incomplete at the moment. We don't know how long he's going to be out. I guess you could say the same thing about Fizikas, although Fizikas hasn't been there like all season, so Valpo is kind of what they are without him. And if he plays, I guess it's a bonus. Bradley, you know, they 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 start. Matter of fact, they still have a non-conference game. They play December 28th against Toledo. So I think they might be the only team left that, that still has a non-conference game. So be curious to see how they fare against Valpo's best win of the year. And then they play at home against Drake and, again, right away on the road at Northern Iowa. Two tough games to start the conference season. And, uh, and and so Bradley projected to finish third. Now, here's one that's a surprise. Loyola Chicago is projected by Ken Palm to finish second. I would have them probably significantly lower. That said, now their best win is against Ball State, but they did beat Vanderbilt on a neutral site by eight, and then they just lost at home to Davidson, which isn't a bad loss. That's number 71 in the country. Their worst loss is the worst loss for the Valley this year. The same night that Kentucky fell to Evansville, Loyola fell to Coppin State. They had, it was actually Coppin State beating Loyola was the biggest upset of the night, metric-wise, according to Ken Palm, on a night that Evansville beat Kentucky. Look, Loyola's got a couple of the best players in the league, right? You've got Cameron Crutwig and Lucas Williamson. These guys are excellent. 
They got these other guys: Tate Hall, Marquise Kennedy. They've got uh, Ugak, uh, Keith Clemens is starting to play. He's getting into the the flow of it. Um, they've had some injuries that they've dealt with. They're a good team, but they don't have Clayton Custer, and they don't have Marcus Towns. So it's not the Final Four team from two years ago. But they still have arguably the best big man in the conference. I'm fascinated to see what's going to happen in that Valpo Loyola game. Fascinated to see. Can Valpo get one from Loyola? Or is Loyola going to be what they've been the last two years? Dominant team. All right. I don't know what to think. They're, they're, they are an X factor for me in this conference race. Ken Palm likes them. I'm not as high in them. Todd Eichhaus said earlier this year on, on the podcast, he didn't think they were very good. Well, we're through the non-conference now. Look, they beat Vanderbilt. I, you know, they beat an SEC team and a neutral site and their their star big man at a triple-double. That's not nothing. So Loyola, I guess we'll see. And that leads us to Northern Iowa. Northern Iowa is 11-1 right now. Their best win is against Colorado. They beat them by three on the road. They beat South Carolina. 90th team in the or 89th team in the country by six at a neutral site. A lot of their other games are are low. They beat Northern Colorado in overtime. They're a top 121 team. Uh, beat Marshall recently here. They're a top 180 team. They beat Grand Canyon by 24 points on the road. They look like a good team. Obviously, they got AJ Green, one of the best players in the conference. He's only getting better. You've got Spencer Haldeman, Trey Burhow, Austin Fife is back and healthy. Isaiah Brown is an excellent defender. Pickford comes off the bench. Probably would start for a handful of teams in the Valley, I would think. Justin Dahl is an experienced player. Kimmins, the freshman. They, they've, they've got a good team. I sent a tweet out yesterday that has not made me very popular with with at least the Valpo fans, and I, I haven't even ventured into the Missouri Valley fan bases. I said that the best-case scenario for the Valley was for Northern Iowa to go undefeated in the regular season and lose on a buzzer beater in the conference title game. They would be 31-2, and two, I think, at that point. And if that happens, they're going to the NCAA tournament. And if that happens, the Valley is getting multiple bids to the NCAA tournament. Now, some Valpo fans took exception with this and said that was I advocating that that fans should be cheering for Northern Iowa to beat their team. Look, I had some fun with the tweet. I, you know, I'm not necessarily saying take it literally. I'm not saying that when you go to the Valpo Northern Iowa game that you should dress in purple and gold. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that Valpo joined this conference because it was a better opportunity to get multiple teams to the NCAA tournament than the Horizon League was. So every year, you should want multiple teams to go to the NCAA tournament. The only way that Northern Iowa is going to the NCAA tournament without winning the conference tournament, thus the only way that the Valley is getting multiple teams, is for Northern Iowa to likely run the table and then lose in, in the, you know, but again, Illinois State did this a couple of years ago, right? They went 17-1 and one and they lost in the, maybe the semifinals or whatever it was, or I, I don't it wasn't around for that, um, and they didn't make it. You know, Valpo damn near ran the table, 
in the Horizon League and they lost in the semis, they didn't make it. So I don't you know I really don't know what to think. Northern Iowa right now has a net of 23, by far the best in the conference, by far. What I'm saying is that you want multiple teams in the tournament. There's no other team in this tournament in, in the Valley that has the resume as we sit here today to get a at large bid. It's just not going to happen. All right. Evansville did beat Kentucky. Sure. But they've lost to a bunch of, you know, not great teams. So the only team, and I don't even know that Northern Iowa necessarily has the resume like as it stands, let's say they go 13 and five and they lose in the conference title game. Right. At that point that, what are they, the 24 and six or 26 and seven at that point, if they, uh, if that happens, I don't know that that's getting them in. So, what you want multiple teams in now? Yes, if you're a Valpo fan, you want Valpo in. If you're a Drake fan, you want Drake in. You want you, you don't care what Northern Iowa does. I'm saying, stepping away from the situation, the Valley and ostensibly everybody around the Valley wants multiple teams in the NCAA tournament. I'm not gonna tell you that having multiple teams in the NCAA tournament is gonna be the financial savior for some woes that schools are feeling. I'm not telling you that Mike Avery and Jim Doherty still have jobs if Northern Iowa makes it to the tournament and so does another team because I don't know all that stuff. Like I don't know where the money goes, but I will tell you that Valpo joined this conference for a reason, and that reason was to be in a basketball league that had better exposure and a better chance to get multiple teams of the NCAA tournament. However people want to dress it up or anything like that, Valpo left the league that they had a good chance of winning year in and year out Playing in cities where their alums were stationed, they did that to go to a league that has a great chance of getting multiple teams to the NCAA tournament. And when I say great, that's with the smallest font and the lowest case letters that I can have. They have a better shot of getting getting multiple teams to the NCAA tournament than the Horizon League did. So the only avenue to get multiple teams this year is Northern Iowa to run the table in the Valley or pretty damn close and lose in the championship game in probably a dramatic fashion, right? And then you hope and pray. Or you say to hell with that. You want Northern Iowa to do well. Maybe they're the ones who get to the tournament and they can pull an upset, right? They can, and, and they've done it before. Jacobson's knocked off people. You want as many units as possible. You also want your team to make it. So, again, Valpo fans want Valpo to make it. Drake fans, Bradley fans, Indiana State fans, they all want them to make it. Everybody cheers for their own team until you get to March, and then you hope that that team wins, right? You know, again, it was a fun tweet that I had. It was I, – I, as soon as I hit send, I was like, oh, this will probably ruffle some feathers. I was not trying to, like, suggest that I wanted Northern Iowa to lose. It's, you know, again, whatever. It is what it is. My point is you want as many teams to go to the tournament as possible. The only way that's going to happen to get multiple bids is Northern Iowa losing in the title game after having a great regular season, and, uh, and, and, and there we go. So, gun to my head, I'm picking Northern Iowa to win the league. I probably have Bradley and Drake up there, two and three. I probably have Missouri State four, Loyola five, Indiana State six, Valpo seven, Evansville, Southern Illinois, and Illinois State are down there as well. Evansville could be an X factor. Indiana State could be an X factor. When I say that, I mean teams that could really rise above. 
I think there's going to be a lot of great games in the Valley. I think there's going to be a lot of battling back and forth. I think there's going to be, uh, you know, a lot of uh, upsets. I think, uh, the, you know, I, I'm trying to think of, I mean, maybe Northern Iowa is the outlier. But I think, you know, they're going to be pretty good. And I don't, you know, looking at Ken Palm, they've got Northern Iowa 13-5, and five, and they've got second place at 11-7. and seven. I wouldn't be shocked if if 12 and 6 or 11 and 7 take second place here. I really wouldn't. I also think that last place could be 6 and 12 or 7 and 11, right? You know, I I don't I don't think we're seeing a team go 3 and 15 this year. This is going to be a fun a fun league to battle in this season. There's a lot of talent. Javon Freeman Liberty leads a, leads a conference in scoring at 21.8 points. Tyreek Key Right there, 18. A.J. Green, 16.6. DeAndre Williams, who we've talked about, is uh, 16.4. And then there's Crutwig, 16.2. These guys are, are all playing really well right now. But Javon is is uh, is, is is doing great, you know. Uh, top rebounder is Elijah Childs, but he's out at the moment. And then Coke Barr, again, 8.1. And, and Elijah Childs, 9.4. Crutwig, De Silva, DeAndre Williams is up there again. If we're looking at the, uh, the top... Field goal percentage, DeAndre Williams is shooting 72%. That's insane. This guy's got to be legit, right? Trey Burhau has knocked down 38 three-pointers for Northern Iowa. They, I mean, they can they can shoot it really well. Um, if we're looking at assists, Daryl Brown is up there. Roman Penn, who's from Northwest Indiana for Drake, is doing really well. Daniel Sackey's up there as well. Blocks and steals. We got, again, Liam Robbins got 31 blocks. No one else is even close to him right now. Javon Freeman Liberty has got uh, 33 steals, and no one, you know, Roman Penn has got 26. But uh, Javon Freeman Liberty, I think today I would tell you Javon Freeman Liberty is the player of the year. I think A.J. Green gets all the votes because he's the best player on the best team. Those two guys are certainly right there. Crutwig is in the conversation. And, you know... DeAndre Williams, I haven't seen him play much, but the guy's got all of the numbers. Right? He looks the part on paper. And then, you know, is is Tyreek Key up there as well? Uh, it's it's easy to pick the top five scores, and and I think right now that's where we're at. Tulio De Silva is a guy that I thought was going to be the preseason player of the year, and the guy hasn't done a whole lot this year. But, you know, they're a little bit more balanced. They've got a little bit more talent on the team. I can't wait for a conference season. This is the part of the year that college basketball really gets good. Matter of fact, there's a lot of people who ignore college basketball all through the the late part of the calendar year. When it flips and we start playing conference games, people really get into it. The rivalries kick in. The familiarity kicks in. You get to travel nearby. You're not going out to, you know, to the Virgin Islands or going to Charlotte or going to Arkansas. You're playing teams nearby. Be fun to see what happens with Valpo and the Valley going forward. That said, I'm struggling with my voice at the moment. I've coughed a couple times during the podcast. Apologies for that. I hope I caught a handful of them to edit them out. Um, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy New Year. Uh, going on a road trip, so I'll see you guys back here, Union Street Hoops, right after the Loyola game. Looking forward to seeing kind of how this first couple games of the Valley unfold. See you at the arc here in the future. Looking forward to it. Have a happy holidays, everybody. Thanks for listening. And again, catch Union Street Hoops on NWI.com 
Apple Pods. Be sure to subscribe, leave a review, go to Spotify, go to SoundCloud. Thank you again for your continued listening throughout the year. I hope that Santa brings you everything under the tree that you're looking for, and I'll see you all in the new year. 2020, looking forward to it. Take care, everybody. <laughs>